launch right into this here. So, would you say that it's fair to say that we live in a confusing, chaotic world? Okay, good. And at least I know I'm not talking to myself. So simply put, if you don't see that, you're probably not paying attention. I think that's fair as well. If you don't see this world as confusing and chaotic, you're not, there's something wrong. You're living in a hole under a rock somewhere, and, or you're just singing Kumbaya and you're pretending that there's really nothing wrong with the world. Uh, talking about the news these days is like a bad joke, right? Uh, politics, very confusing. Don't know where to go with any of that. Um, and the politics are seemingly wicked, right? It seems like every time you talk about it, um, you know, how many times do I have to be told, choose the lesser of two evils? No. No. So, again, that's a problem. Racism seems to be running rampant. Again, you know, listen to the media, reading the paper. Um, terrorism, murder, hostility, corruption, pretty much all seems to leave the day. That's kind of what, you know, you, you watch, you turn on the TV, and that's what you get. So, a question I had for myself this week was, how can we be anything but confused, anxious, discouraged in light of all that is happening? I think that's a fair uh, temperature gauge of what's going on out there. I think a lot of people are asking that question. How can we be anything but confused, dismayed, anxious? I, I've talked to about three people this week who told me they struggle with anxiety. And, you know, you, you look at the state of the world, it's like, well, fair enough. Fair enough. It, it, it's pretty, you know, anxious ridden. So uh, I believe that the answer to that question, how can we experience anything other than confusion and, and everything else, I believe the answer to that question is actually comes from us being Christian. If the Christians will actually be Christian, I believe that we could show the world that you can live in a world without confusion, without being discouraged, without being anxious. I really do believe that. Um, I believe that we are called to be a response, to be a solution to this world's problems. Jesus Christ said, he said, in the world you will have tribulation, but fear not, I have overcome the world. Okay? Further, the Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but instead offer up everything in prayer and supplication. Okay, so have faith and be praying. Right, fair enough. I, I get that concept. However, I believe that there's something more to what God is doing and what God is saying in and through his people than just have faith and pray. There has to be more. Again, because we're doing that. Hopefully you're doing that. If you're not praying, start praying. If, you're, if you don't have faith that God is going to do something, um, God is not pleased by a people that don't have faith. Again, it's very clear right there in the book of Hebrews. So again, um, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if we want to be pleasing to God and we want to see God provide a move in our day and age, we need to be praying and we need to be having faith. Right? Those two things are clear. So what else is God doing? Where else is the solution? And obviously it's going to be on the front of your bulletin here. He's raising up a remnant. God is raising up a remnant and he's always raised up a remnant that would be the solution to the problems around the, uh, the, around the people of God. I want to give you some... Uh, Details on the term remnant. Remnant is a biblical word, right? Um, the Hebrew, it's the word yether. And what that means is whatever is left over. You see this used all throughout your Bible. Um, you know, you, me, I get the picture of going up to that hill where, you know, you're going to toss the, uh, your, your uh, wheat and your grain in the air. And, you know, the, what's the word I'm looking for here? Chaff. I didn't want to say it wrong. So uh, chaff is, uh, you know, it gets blown away. It gets, you know, discarded. And then whatever is left is the remnant. It's whatever stays right there. That's what's useful. It's what you're going to use. I actually thought of when we uh, were doing the playground, I figured this is a good analogy, right? We had the, the sifter, and we took all the, you know, all the mulch and everything, and we threw it into the sifter, and every one of us got to show off you know, using our muscles and going like this with the sifter. And what would happen is all the dirt and all the, the yucky stuff would fall out, and what would remain was the mulch that we actually wanted to use, right? And that was the useful stuff. So the remnant is the useful stuff. Catch that. 
The remnant is the useful stuff. God has useful stuff that is the solution to the, the junk. Right? That's what you look at the world, you see junk. God has a remnant, useful stuff that he's using to fix this world, to provide a solution to this world's anxiety, to this world's discouragement, and to this world's discouragement. Okay? A remnant. So, again, the Hebrew word, yether. Um, another thing with, what the Hebrew word would actually prove is it's a holy seed. We see this used in Micah. We see it used in Isaiah, talking about God having a remnant, that the prophet said you know, he would have a remnant that would come out of this people that he highlighted to be his own. However, sometimes God's people just don't look like God. Catch that. Sometimes God's people don't look like God. The remnant's supposed to look like God because, again, the only thing that's going to be the solution are the things we get from God. So somehow we have to look at the chaotic situation. We have to say, okay, God's clearly doing a sifting, right? He's clearly, it's pretty chaotic. And what is going to remain? What is, what is supposed to remain? And I really believe that what is supposed to remain will come out of us figuring out what it means to be a Christian. If we figure that out, and we're going to be doing that, it's going to be a, quite a series here. We're going, to pick, we're going to get a lot of concepts, and we're going to understand, you know, I look at everything. I hear Christians talk about war. A lot of times I say, yep, that is, doesn't look like God. That does not sound like what God would say to the problem that we see. I hear Christians talk about the Middle East. Sometimes I'm saying the same thing. I hear Christians talk about sexuality. I hear Christians talk about the way they're supposed to live their life. I hear Christians talk about the situation of the world. And a lot of times I'm saying that does not sound like what God is saying. So what we want to do is we want to allow the sifting to happen and we want to see what is supposed to remain. What's the message? What's the, the true solution to this world's problems? In the Greek, the word for remnant is lopos or kataliema. And again, it means whatever is left over, right? It's, it's used both ways, this, this term, remnant, whatever is left over. So what I'm going to highlight for you this morning is that in the midst of chaos and confusion, God doesn't need to destroy everything that he's created. That's not the solution. He doesn't need to destroy everything, just like we didn't need to destroy the entire playground. Instead, and he doesn't have to take us out of the planet either. We didn't have to take the mulch and bring it over to the dump. You see, we didn't have to do that. What we had to do was a sifting. We had to say, what is going to remain? What is supposed to remain? What is actually the useful stuff here and what needs to be discarded? Right? So rather than God destroying or taking us out of here, what he's going to do is he's going to do a sifting and raise up a remnant. He's going to provide a people that have clarity, have healing, have conviction in regards to what God is doing in our world. The remnant concept is actually why I can't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Because again, a rapture says that God's going to take us out of here. However, to me, what scripture seems to show me, my heritage, is that God actually is going to keep people here to actually make sense out of the confusion and chaos. If you take the people that have the the sense out of here, what you have remaining is just confusion. And and again, it, it doesn't seem to work with what I see in scripture. I'm going to show you that this morning. So again, what I'm highlighting is the remnant is Christians being Christian. That's what's going to remain. What we need to do is figure out what happens when Christians are not necessarily Christian. And that stuff needs to be discarded. That junk needs to be discarded. And I imagine through this series, you're going to find some things that we should not say anymore. That we need to get rid of attitudes we need to get rid of, behaviors we need to get rid of, phrases we might need to get rid of, and a whole sorts of things that we might need to change in order to better demonstrate Christians being Christian, being a remnant people. So... Um, real quickly, I had mentioned I would, uh, would answer the hashtag thing. Again, it's a marketing tool. You put a hashtag, you know, that little pound sign. You put that hashtag in front of a, any couple words, no spaces. You put it on social media, and what it does is it allows for people to keep reusing that. So what I've done for our series is I've created hashtag being Christian. Bless you. Um, 
Hashtag being Christian. The reason why is I believe that being Christian needs to be something that's highlighted and becomes marketing and popular in our culture. We need to tell people that the answer to the world, the problems and the solutions, are all found in Christians being Christian. It needs to be a highlighted concept. So again, I've taken the liberty to make a hashtag being Christian. That's what I want to highlight. That's what I want to market, is that the solution to this world's problem is being Christian. And another symbol is the letter N. You're going to see me using that symbol a lot, that uh, Arabic symbol, the letter N. Again, that's the symbol that when ISIS went into, the, into Iraq, into Mosul and Syria and all these places, they um, painted this symbol, the Arabic letter N, on the, the buildings to mark these people as those are the people that follow the Nazarene. You see Jesus the Nazarene. And that letter N is, is, is a symbol being used to talk about the Nazarenes. Here in the West, we've taken that symbol of persecution and we've highlighted and said, we'll be letter N Christians then. We will not let our brothers and sisters suffer in silence that are in those regions. And I think that's a glorious thing. So again, you're going to see me using that tool to market. And again, it creates questions. People say, what is that symbol? It's Christianity. It's the letter N. It's talking about our persecuted brothers and sisters. Again, things that need to be highlighted. I'm sure that that remnant in the Middle East surely could teach us a little bit about being Christian. Would you imagine? They're suffering. They're dying for their faith. And they have a lot to teach us about what remains after persecution, after all the suffering that we're seeing. And uh, hopefully we'll be learning a little bit from them this uh, series as well. So what I want to do is I want to outline our heritage for a minute here. I'm going to outline what I would call the remnant heritage as throughout the entire Bible. So hold on, because I'm going to take you for a little bit of a ride here, all right? It's going it's to be a long-winded one. But when you open up your Bible, right, you see, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. Uh, a couple things to pick out of that that most people wouldn't notice. In the beginning God created, the, the Hebrew term there is bara. That term actually means replenish or recreate, Okay, so actually what it's saying there is in the beginning God replenished or recreated the heaven and the earth. The earth was formless and void. So how I would understand that is what I see God doing is he has this beautiful creation. He's created it with the intention to glorify him. And then unfortunately, if you were to go back about 10,000 years ago in that ancient Near Eastern world, then you would look at what they were doing. You'd say, oh, well, they are surely not worshiping God as they were created to do. They became without form and void. Again, the Hebrew phrase tohu wa bohu. And that phrase actually means useless. I mentioned this this morning. Um, so what we've seen is in the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, God's creation becomes useless. It's not serving its intended goal. So what does God do? You keep reading through your Bible. He reaches in, takes Adam, forms man, puts man in his presence in the Garden of Eden, and gives him a law. Listen to me. Right there, you, something that should stand out to you in our heritage about being a remnant is obedience. We are supposed to be an obedient people. Unfortunately... We, we also know something else that's a part of our covenant heritage. We're not perfect, so we will never be perfectly obedient. Adam falls, right? Through Adam's fall, you would imagine things get rather chaotic because God said the day you eat of the tree, you will die, right? So now they're dead. Things are chaotic. They're sinners again. You, you, know, you look at the world, I don't imagine it being much different. What does God do? Gives them Seth, provides another son for them, a remnant, because out of Seth, are the, not out of Cain and Abel, because again, Cain killed Abel. Cain gets kicked out. What does God do with all this chaos? He says, Seth will be the seed that I will you know, further provide through Adam's lineage. Seth is the remnant. Right? Seth is making sense out of that chaos that now God is going to work through Seth. Now he works through Seth, and then we get to the story of Noah. Right? What happens with Noah? Again, these, these people are just pagan worshipers, idolaters. What does God do? He says, I'm sending a flood. Here's your obedience again. Right? Noah, build the boat, get on the boat. When I tell you it's time to go, you will be my remnant people. God 
showing a solution in the midst of chaos. Could have just drowned out the whole world, but instead what he did was he highlighted these people, marked them out to be his, and he saved them, a remnant people that would have conviction and clarity in contrast to all the people that were swept away in Noah's wicked generation. Then, sure enough, you read about Abraham or Abram in your Bible, right? Abram's told, get out from your father's land, leave this people to be a remnant, to be useful for me in another land. I want you to leave this land and go to another land. If you're reading your Bible, it's actually another word for world. So it actually, technically, if you're being literal, it's leave this world and go to another world, um, the Greek Hebrew term arets. So again, a remnant. Abraham's that remnant people that now he is going to supply a blessing through. He's going to bless all the nations through this, this uh, Abram, and he's going to make him a father of many nations, right? He's going to be the multitude of many nations. These are going to be the, the children of God. They're going to be as many as the stars on the sky and as many as the sand on the seashore. Sure enough, Abram has two children, right? Isaac and Ishmael. Um, the chosen seed is now, the remnant is going to be revealed through Isaac. You imagine, you have two children, you're sitting there, Ishmael's born first, he's supposed to be the inheritance. God says, no, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to elect my remnant. People are going to come through Isaac. And sure enough, through Isaac, we find Jacob. Oh, you have Jacob and Esau. I know some of us like that passage there. God chose Jacob. And rejected Esau. Again, a remnant people. The 12 tribes of Israel now come out of Jacob. 12 tribes of Israel actually marked as God's remnant people throughout the entire Old Testament. However, something gets interesting. So you have this God's people, Israel, right? He takes them, reveals them through judgment and chaos. Again, if you're not reading the book of Exodus and you don't see chaos, I mean, you've got 10,000 frogs and a river and blood all over the place. And, you know, it gets rather chaotic. So what does God do? He reveals a remnant, takes Israel out of Egypt and brings them into the promised land, right? Brings them into the promised land. You would imagine, okay, so there's his remnant. Nope, because not all Israel is Israel. Not all these people are loyal. Unfortunately, what ends up happening? You see, these people aren't even obedient. The remnant people have to be obedient. So now Israel, failing to be obedient, God's looking at them. Now he's sending prophets. They desire to be like the nations around them. It's all chaotic and confused. He sends prophets. The prophets remind them. The day is coming where God is going to reveal a remnant. Again, you see this remnant stuff just keeps picking up throughout your entire Bible. God is going to reveal a people because things got chaotic. When God's people do not live in line with what God wants them to do, the world looks horrible around them, horrible around them. Every time you study your Bible, what you're seeing is God's people failed to stay true to being obedient. That's why Noah's entire generation had to be wiped out except for him and his three sons. That's why Abraham had to leave his father's house and go to another place because the people are not living the way they're supposed to be living. So in the midst of that, what God does is he supplies a remnant. So now, throughout the Law and the Prophets, all they knew was one day God is going to supply a remnant. However, as we talked about yesterday in our Bible study was they didn't know what, how that remnant was going to be revealed. They knew God one day will highlight a remnant that will fix this mess, right? Because Israel did not walk worthy of what they had with God. Like Adam, they violated the covenant. So now you have just complete confusion. If that's not bad enough, God confounds them even more by giving them a time with no prophets, where nobody's going to tell them anything. For 400 years, they're just led by utter silence. What is going on? And again, if you study the historical period, you know, the prophets, you figure you start at about, uh, let's say, 3rd century B.C., and you, you follow that up to about the 8th century yeah, 8th century B.C., um, you see just complete chaos. Again, read the prophets of the Bible. You just have complete chaos throughout all of the prophets. They're so confused. They're wondering, where is God? Why does it seem that God is not 
on our side? Is not healing our land? Do you hear anybody saying those questions today? Why is not God not doing anything? And again, the reason why God, it seemed as though God wasn't doing anything was because his people were not listening. They weren't living the way that they were supposed to be living. Again, I know they weren't Christians, but I think it's fitting to say the Christians weren't being Christian. You see, Israel wasn't being who they were called to be. And what God is going to do is he's going to call a remnant. Now, hopefully, everybody in the room gets what that remnant was pointing to because we're not living in that archaic age of the prophets, the law and the prophets. Hopefully, you see that what that was actually pointing to was Jesus Christ, that in and through Jesus Christ, a remnant would be revealed. The Apostle Paul is very adamant about this in the Bible, um, makes it very clear that this remnant is going to be there. Um, Jesus Christ was coming to remove the wheat and the tares, right? The, the tares would stay there. They would build up until that cataclysmic judgment would happen, and God would reveal who were truly his. So we see all of this happening in the first century. We see Jesus comes. The first thing he does is clearly speaks against the religiosity of his generation, clearly speaks against the natural identity of being a Hebrew, being a Jew, being Israel. He says, nope, that's not cutting it. It's not your national identity that is going to make you the people of God. You would imagine that frustrated his entire generation. He even went into a temple, reminded them, this is wickedness. This is wickedness. Get out. Complete chaos in Jesus' generation. Again, he reminded them, your fathers have killed prophet after prophet. You have not listened to the wisdom of God. God is going to reveal a remnant to frustrate things even more. So now they know, okay, not all the Jews, not all of us are the people of God. Clearly, me being a child of Abraham by flesh does not make me God's provided remnant, right? It does not make me that solution. So the Jews would have been very confused during the time of Jesus. However, to make things even more confusing, he says, Paul, go get some of those people from among the Gentiles. Some of the remnants actually out there among the Gentiles. I can't even imagine being a part of that generation. Again, if you follow your Bible and you see Israel, 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 the Gentiles, why are you going to those folks? They're horrible, detestable beings. And sure enough, he goes out, Acts chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, God has now equipped me to call out some from among the Gentiles. And he goes out and he's bringing in this Gentile people. Again, look at that first century generation. It was not exactly clear on what God was doing, just like our day and age. People are confused. What is God doing? But what God was doing in the first century and what God is doing in the 21st century is he's still revealing a remnant people. He's still sifting the, the world, giving us chaos and all the things around us to get his people to walk worthy, to get his people to be the obedience that will actually heal the nations. We are the healing of these nations. I'm going to prove that to you in a minute. So then, sure enough, after the first century, we have the, this might sound crazy to everybody, but we have the one holy and Catholic apostolic church. All that simply means is we have one universal and church that stands upon the teachings of the apostles. That's it. You know, all the rhetoric that goes behind that, don't worry about it. One holy, set apart, Catholic meaning universal, one universal church that stands upon the teachings of Jesus Christ and the apostles. That's what happened after the first century. That was the remnant people. However, did it stop there? Some people would say, yeah. Some people would say, yeah, right after there it stopped. That was the remnant people, Jesus Christ's people. However, I find it interesting that if you follow church history all the way up to the 1500s, in the 1500s we had a problem. There was a remnant revealed, people that are going to stand upon the word of God in contrast to the traditions and creeds of the Catholic church. So right there, God revealed the remnant in the midst of confusion that was happening in that generation in the 1500s. And then today, would you say God's revealing a remnant people today? Does it look like God's people are all just living in unison and we're just doing what we're supposed to be doing? Anytime God's people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, God is revealing a remnant. Okay? Anytime God's people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, God is revealing a remnant. 
Okay? I, I talked to a couple pastors this week about the remnant. Obviously, one of the main things that stands out in our day and age about what God is doing in regards to revealing a remnant is moving us away from religiosity. Same thing he's been doing since the first century. He's moving his people away from thinking, I need to be beautiful on the outside, a whitewashed tomb and full of dead bones on the inside. Again, what God is doing is he's raising up a generation that has a heart and mind for him. And I'm going to show you that here in some scriptures. What I want to do is, in summing up my message, I wanted to take you through some passages that highlight the remnant people, that really highlight what we're called to be and will initiate our series of being Christian. Um, If I may summarize something, I just want to summarize this point. Remnant people walk with conviction and clarity in regards to the work of God, meaning we know what God is doing. That's what we're called to do as the remnant people. Remnant people walking with conviction and clarity in regards to what God is doing is the solution to the chaotic problems in our world. Again, we could talk about God destroying the world. We could talk about God taking us off of the planet. We could talk about all those things. But the real solution that is demonstrated through your Bible is us actually knowing what's going on. And if we don't know what's going on, they don't. I promise you that. The world sure doesn't. If Jesus Christ's remnant people do not know what's going on in this world, the world is in some real trouble because we don't even know what's going on. In every time of confusion and chaos, there is a remnant to be revealed, God's remnant people. So the first passage I want to take you to is 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. Very quick points that I'm going to be making from these passages. One of those tricky books. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says this. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away... Nope, sorry, that's not the verse I wanted to read. 16, verse 9. Uh, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those who heart, whose heart is completely his. And then in the following sentence, it's actually talking to King Asa. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, you will now have wars. Again, King Asa didn't want to have wars with Syria. He was the king of Judah. What he wanted was to be at peace with uh, all the regions around him. So he did what any man would do. He said, I'm going to get the help of the Syrians. I need those people over there to help me defeat these people, you know, the other people he's fighting. So he reaches out and he says, hey, uh, Syrian king, can you come and join me to help me defeat my enemies over there? What did God say when they went in the land? Do not make treaties with these people. Do not work with them. They are not your friends. Don't make agreements. Sure enough, King Asa, right thing to do. I'm going to lean on my own understanding and get some help because I'm not going to be able to defeat that problem. What did he do? He wasn't obedient to God. Didn't trust, didn't have faith. What did I say at the beginning? It is impossible to please God without faith. He didn't have faith in what God said. He said, I'm going to do it my way because my way usually seems like the right way to do things. And sure enough, his kingdom failed. He will have wars forever. And if you read about King Asa... His kingdom doesn't come to a good end. You know, again, the Babylonians come in, and it just gets pretty ugly. So again, that verse says that the Lord is seeking to and fro, seeking to strengthen who? Those that are being completely disobedient to him? No. He's seeking to strengthen those whose eyes are set on him. So when this world is talking about all the chaos and everything else, what we need to be is a people that have set their eyes on the author and finisher of their faith. We need to be a people that are looking to him, setting our eyes on him, so that he will give us the strength to endure, to go through all of these things, and to give this world a little bit of clarity. I'm going to show you that here in a moment. So first thing you should know about the remnant is the remnant has to set their eyes on him. Because if we set our eyes on him, he'll give us the strength. Second passage in Micah chapter 5, verse 8. This verse says... 
The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a lion among the flocks of the sheep, which, if he passes through, tramples down and tears, and there is none to rescue. Your hands will be lifted up against your adversaries, and all of your enemies will be cut off. Again, the remnant people are a victorious people. There are people that nobody can stand up against. Again, if God is for us, who can stand against us? That's what we are called to be, a people that have that boldness, have that faith, that not only are my eyes focused on him, I also know that he is going to give me the strength to stand, that I have faith in that. If we don't have faith in the fact that he's going to give us the strength to stand, then you're not setting your eyes on him. You see, that's the, it has to be a reciprocal thing, that if you're setting your eyes on him, you have to have faith. If you, actually, if you are setting your eyes on him, you will know that he'll give you the strength. You will know. So if you don't believe that, set your eyes on him. You're not doing the first thing. Set your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. And he will give us the strength. We will be like a, a mighty people. Again, I would urge you to read Micah chapter 5. In his generation, that was a powerful prophecy. And it surely stands for us today as God's people. Zechariah chapter 14. I'm not going to turn there and read. However, what you see in Zechariah 14 is the struggle of two Jerusalems. We noticed this yesterday in our Bible study. That one Jerusalem is being destroyed while another Jerusalem is being established. Again, you find very clear details on that in the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 4. He says, the two Jerusalems are two covenants. It's an allegory. One covenant is the old covenant that were persecuting the first century believers, again the Jews, and the new covenant are the Jews and Gentiles that were now coming into Christ, putting on Christ and being a part of that new covenant people. So again, when you're reading of one Jerusalem coming under judgment and one Jerusalem being established, all you're reading about is the passing away of that old covenant, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. The passing away of that old covenant and the full establishment and bringing in of the new consummated kingdom that would be established forever. The eternal gospel, the new Jerusalem where we don't have a temple, we don't have a, you know, a, a throne where Jesus is going to sit it's here. We are that temple. We are his people. That's the remnant people. They are his temple. So, again, you see this all throughout Revelation chapter 21 and 22. If you read Zechariah 14, turn to Revelation 21 and 22 after that. And you're going to learn a lot about that water that's flowing down from the temple. Again, Zechariah might have thought that was going to be a real temple that was going to be built with some beautiful tasting water. However, we know that that is the water that flows out of the believers. That is eternal life, the message of the gospel that we give to people to tell them, this is the healing of the nations. Put off your identity as a human being outside of Christ. Die to yourself and be formed into the one new man in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's what the remnant needs to be doing. That's our message. Then you see 1 Thessalonians 5. This one really stands out to me. 1 Thessalonians 5, it, it talks about that in those cataclysmic days of the end, right? That first century coming to an end and God's judgment was going to be revealed against the Jews and that temple was going to be shattered and all those details that we read. When God was gathering his people in 1 Thessalonians 4, remember that harpazo, that term we use there? He's going to gather his people together. He was gathering his people together to have clarity and conviction in regards to what was happening in that generation. And you see that in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says that the rest of the world, was the Lord was going to come like a thief in the night. Everybody would be dismayed saying, you know, destruction and peace. Nobody knew what was going on. But it says you, the children of light, should not be confused when this would be. We are called to be children of light. We are called to be a people that have clarity in regards to what God is doing, not being confused like the rest of the world. That's something we really have to let hit home. We need to have clarity in regards to what God is doing in our age, not be confused like the rest of the world. So the next text I would go to is 1 John 3, 2. What do you see in 1 John 3, 2? That when the Lord comes, we will be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. If you do not see the Lord enthroned and beautiful and in power and glory today, 
Then again, that goes back to verse, the first point I made. You have not set your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. And how do you do that? How do you set your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith? Well, the first thing you must do is actually get into this book. Right? All we do here is study the Bible. Right? You have to actually get into the book to know the knowledge of God to be able to see anything. You have to know the book. We have to be a people that are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth, and doing so we need not be ashamed. You see, being a, not being ashamed is a powerful thing because it means we have a clear conscience. We can look at the world and we can say, hey, I'm working toward a solution. I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm trying to help. I, I believe that's the only thing that will ever help. Bless you again. So, in summing up everything I said, hopefully I've convinced you this morning that the remnant throughout the Bible is God's provided solution. That's what we need to see. We need to get clarity on what it means to be Christian. We need to walk as God's remnant people that have conviction and clarity in regards to what's going on in this world and not be confused when people bring up politics, not be confused when people bring up war, not be confused when we see race relations happening all over our media. No, we need to have clarity and we need to know what we're telling them. And I'll tell you, just to sum it all up, you tell them that identity that you have, that black man, white man, Republican, Democrat, whatever you want to be, all those identities, die to them. Again, you can have them. I'm not taking that away from you. But die to that identity as your superseding identity, the one that you put on in front of everything else. And let Christianity, let being a Christian be the first and primary thing that is leading your life. And if you do that, you're a part of the solution. You're a part of the fix of all the division and all the confusion that we're seeing out there will be found. The solution and the healing will be found here. Again, the gospel will be the healing of the nations if you read Revelation chapter 21 and 22. So destroying the world is not needed. Taking me and all of you off the planet is not needed. That is not the gospel. God has supplied a remnant. It simply requires us to walk worthy. And if I haven't qualified my message enough this morning, I'm going to leave you with one last point. Famed sociologist, Margaret Mead, when she was asked about what is the solution to the world's problems and what must we be doing to fix the world, you know what she said? She said, never doubt that a group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world because indeed it is the only thing that ever has. Amen. Join me in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you give us clarity, Lord, that you have called a people to be your remnant people in this earth, that we would bring forth conviction in regards to right living, right belief, right understanding, and what healing is, Lord. I thank you that you have given us clarity through your word, Lord, that we must study and prove all things to get a grip on what we must be doing. Lord, I thank you for conviction. I thank you for the move toward clarity, Lord. I thank you for the spirit that illuminates all of your truth. Lord, I pray that you would empower us to walk worthy, that we know we can't do it in and of ourselves, Lord. But with your spirit and with faith and with prayer, we trust that you will move and that you will help us move forward as a people with conviction and clarity in regards to what you are doing. Lord, I thank you for the privilege to know your gospel and to be bold in you. Lord, we magnify your name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. At this time, we are going to collect our missionary offerings.